The 1940s golden age of radio. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Turn back that dial and stay for a while. The times are a changing. A podcast new sound taking it back. Do you hear that? Do you hear that? We're on a new track, a new track. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Second Golden Age of Radio with yours truly, Richard Templeman. And today, my guest is Jack. Richard, hello. It's me. Hello, Jack. It's me, Richard. Um, I'm, I found the voice effects, but anyway. Uh, cool. So, how, so what do you want to do? Do you have a favorite genre? Genre? Of something that we could listen to and be inspired by? Of, like, old-timey radio show? I haven't listened to much old-time radio. I mean, what did they talk about in the old times? Basically, all the types of shows we have on TV, like comedies and dramas and soap operas and uh, horror genres and suspense and thriller. They had all that on the radio back then. I see. Hmm. What genre could I do justice, I wonder? Hmm. We could do... We could do a horror? Or a sci-fi horror? One time, I started writing the first page of a detective novel where uh, he was a detective and he didn't wear any pants. And that was his thing, that he just acted like a normal detective, but he never wore pants. So, long story short, we could do a detective type thing. Sure, we can listen to a detective story. I'm listening to a little uh, Richard Diamond private detective right now that I found on the Internet Archive for inspiration. All right, Richard Diamond it is. Thank you for doing that. I was going to do the same thing, look up something, but you have done it for me. So go ahead and listen to that. And ignore me for a minute while I'll talk about Richard Diamond, the radio show in general, while you're listening to that. Thank you. And you have told me a little bit about your experience of radio, which is not that much. But I like the idea that you wrote a story about a detective without pants. So keep that in mind as we go over this series, the radio series. Richard Diamond, Private Detective, created by Blake Edwards, and it ran on the radio from 1949 to 1953, and it even was on television from 1957 to 1960. Dick Powell starred in the Richard Diamond series. He was the wise-cracking former police officer turned private detective, and the episodes typically opened with a client visiting or calling Richard Diamond or going into his office and agreeing to pay $100 a day plus expenses, or Diamond taking on a case on the behest of a friend or a former partner, Lieutenant Walter Levinson. Diamond often suffers a blow to the head. These are some of the tropes of the radio show. It usually ends with Diamond at the piano. We definitely were on purpose trying to find a radio show where we could include some pianist skills that Jack Patton does behold. He, he likes to tickle the ivories as they will. Jack is a pianist. He can play the piano. So he and Richard Diamond have that in common. This is perfect for our 
purposes for covering the Richard Diamond episode and doing our own improvisation about it. Its theme, Leave It to Love, was whistled by Powell at the beginning of each episode, so there's another musical thing we can do. Richard Diamond, private detective. Uh, it says here because Dick Powell was known for musical comedies prior to his appearance as Phil- Philip Marlowe in Raymond Chandler's Murder, My Sweet, the film, and then later on the Lux Radio Theater, he became a detective who sang as Richard Diamond. So now it's all coming together. And it used to air on NBC Radio with Rexel as a sponsor, continued with Camel Cigarettes as a sponsor, and then it moved to ABC, back to Rexel as the sponsor. And then it went to CBS. So it basically hit all the networks. All right, we're going to take a listen to an episode that Jack has picked for us and use it as our inspiration. Thank you. BRB, bring radio back. Did you think of the Richard Diamond episode? I like the guy's name. I enjoyed it. Um, it reminded me that I had read The Great Sleep, or The Big Sleep, by Raymond Chandler, which actually came up in Jeopardy uh, today, interestingly enough. But it just has all the tropes of a hard-boiled detective um, book and it, it was very it was very interesting like listening to it on radio and kind of having this very like now cliche detective like kind of cheesy detective story where they're using so many different like metaphors for everything is like you know um i think it lends itself well to radio just in kind of the imagery and the like how monologues are really standard in the genre so you know you have uh richard diamond like you know monologuing to himself about what's going on quite a bit which you know informs like what's going on in the scene so there's you know a bit of action so yeah i liked it yeah that's really great to hear um and yeah you had some good points about the format where it's kind of a film noir type monologue, which is his monologue, which is kind of the narration, and then his quips, and his hard-boiled detectiveness. We listened to the episode from May 1st, 1949, called The Barton Case, and it also is known as Diamond in the Rough. 
And the song that's performed in the episode is called It's a Big, Wide, Wonderful World. And that's another thing. You never play when I want you to. Only when I've got you on the carpet. That sounds like fun. Now, stop being glib. If you think for one minute you can turn me into... How do you face with the sunshine? Put on a great big smile. Now, stop that and listen to me. Okay, okay, I'll shut up. Well, go on. Oh, now you made me forget what I was going to say. Well, if you can't remember, honey, hold a good thought. It's a big, wide, wonderful world you live in. When you're in love, you're a master. Of all you survey, you're a gay Santa Claus. I just remembered. Too late now, honey, I'm rolling. It's a big, wide, wonderful world. And isn't it, though? I felt like it is. Um, the basic plot, um, now correct me if I'm wrong, but it seemed like some goons were following him and then ended up hiring him, or the goons led him to a dad who was like, I'm worried that my son has committed a murder. Dad was like, well, did he or didn't he? And he's like, oh, I guess he, if he did, I, I, I'd turn him into the police, I would. But if he didn't, I want to make sure that we get the right bad guy. Uh, and so already I was a little confused about what was going on. And he ends up visiting his detective friend. There's a lady in a car. Correct me if I'm wrong. Am I getting the plot? Yeah, no, I think that you're getting it. I I had kind of had a hard time tracking for a little while, too. So he gets beaten up right in the beginning, which I guess is a trope of this show. And uh, then, like, when he comes to... Then he comes to, and then somehow he's right there with this dad, who you're, who you're right, is like, my son's a murderer, he's off in Sing Sing, and uh, we gotta save him. But I don't know if he's a murderer, and if he is, I'm just gonna leave him there. Um, so then he is like trying to, I guess, um, free his son from guilt by finding this guy who has a scar or something. And I, I think that the son was involved with this like Lenora person, if that was her name, um, who I guess like she was this kind of femme fatale type character and the father thinks that she like lured him to this place where we he was found with like this guy that he alleged that he thinks he killed with the scar on his face or something so somehow he he was framed for murder um yeah that's kind of what i got out of the setup it, everything happened very fast, and it was very kind of uh, hard to track when he was just getting, like, his butt kicked in, in the very beginning for no reason. Remember, Mr. Barton, you don't want to work for him. I'll bet your name's Barton. Why, that's right. How did you know? I'm lucky. Now get out of here. But I want to talk to you. I just had one long conversation, but it was too one-sided. Go on. My health is doubtful, but it's fun to have it around for company. Maybe $500 would pick you up? It might, for a while. But I don't like to waste that kind of money on funerals. Seven fifty. So they line the coffin with velvet. A thousand. Uh, 
You're begging to make a short life sound practical. If you do the job successfully, there'll be another thousand. You just bought yourself a corpse. Let me wash up. Talk some more. I can hear you. It's my son, Roger. He thinks he killed a man. He thinks? What do you want me to do? Find out for sure so I can brag about it? Ever heard of a John Alter? Sure. Walt Levinson sent him up five years ago on a manslaughter rap. Well, he doesn't like it up there, and he'd like to get out. I don't blame him. What's this got to do with your son? I'm chairman of the parole board. Oh, you look much better now, Mr. Diamond. I can't stand the sight of blood. It doesn't bother me. It happens every week. So, uh, you're the chairman of the parole board. Yes, some of Alter's friends promised to keep quiet about my son if I let Alter go free when he comes up before the board next mm. week. Mm. And you think maybe your son was framed? Yes, about a month ago, he met a girl in Florida. Her name is Lenore Brown, and she's a friend of Alter's. How did they spring the frame? I beg your pardon? You must associate with a higher type thug. Spring the frame. Made it look like your son killed somebody. Oh. Oh. Well, when Roger, that's my son, went to pick up the Lenore girl at her apartment, he found her struggling with some man. That happens. It looked like he was trying to kill her. There was a gun on the floor, and she called to Roger for help. He picked up the gun and shot the man. She told Roger he had killed him and that he must get out. When we went back, they were both gone. Yeah, it definitely seemed like it started in the middle of something, and we are like, what is this in the middle of? My goodness. Yeah, so that tracks, that tracks. He's trying to solve the mystery of the framed son being a murder. Yeah, and you're right that the female character is definitely one of those femme fatales. She's like, oh, me? You want, you want to get into trouble with little old me? I, I do remember some, some quotes to that effect. Yeah, I remember, um, I think it came up later, but there was the metaphor was like, I saw a pair of healthy ankles, and attached to those ankles were some strong legs or something like that. Um, they're all about the legs in these detective shows. All about the legs. The room was completely empty now. Even the waiter had disappeared. I looked up at a flight of stairs at the far end of the room. A pair of very healthy ankles came into view. And they were holding up a pair of legs that ran my blood pressure up to 190 again. I eased my gun out and held it under the table. Lenore turned the corner and started down toward my booth like a loose snake in a rabbit pen. Mind if I sit down? Uh, it's your party. Yeah, it always seems like there's some allure to the ankles and the legs. It must be carryover for when women shouldn't be revealing their ankles and legs. In a weird time where modesty was a little different. And I think her name was Lenora. I think you're right. Lenora. Which is a good name for a character. It is a very good name. Um, yeah, so at some point he tracks her down. Oh yeah, he has to go visit his buddy. Who's a detective. And there's like the his assistant who's like out front who it's explained that like when he was in the force or something like they have some history and he doesn't like him but then he goes past and like visits with his friend who he's on a first name basis with who gives him a tip um who, oh, who works in homicide which is why he knows so he gives him a tip to go um track down this lenora person and then he's like 
Won't you come back to the force? Won't you consider coming? Ah, I don't want to be pinned down. I like, like the freedom of eating breakfast or something. He said something weird that was like some kind of metaphor for how he likes to be more free. She used to work at the Black Swan in Florida. Her daughter was trying to get a parole and she came to New York to be close to him. Any lying on her here in town? No, but if she's seeing all of you, you might spot her on a visitor's day. And now, look, Rick, why don't you stop chasing two-bit thugs and come back on the force? I never had all this when we were working together. You know how I feel about that, Walt. I'm a restless guy. Sometimes I like to sleep late in the morning. Okay, Rick. Want me to call the warden and tell him you're coming? Yeah, thanks, Walt. Take it easy. Bye, Rick. Be a good boy. Um, yeah. Yes. So there's that relationship. And we're following the story of the guy with the scar. And I think the guy with the scar is who is supposedly dead, right? And then they end up finding him eventually. Right. He was supposedly dead. And I think... So so here's here's the thing that I, I didn't quite... I Maybe I missed. Is like, is this dad being blackmailed? Or is the son being blackmailed? I think so. I think that's what happened. Like, they got him arrested for homicide, but somehow the guy who he killed is actually still alive. And that's why... Um, that's why Diamond has to find this guy, because then it'll prove that his son isn't a killer. Yeah, I was really confused about this myself. I guess the father of the accused son is on some sort of parole board, and so the blackmail is like, you gotta let this guy go on parole, and then maybe we'll tell the truth about your son. But then the dad almost believes that he's maybe a murderer, like his own son did the murder. I don't know. I'm also confused. You're not alone. So then shortly after, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I definitely agree. Um, I was missing some crucial detail there, so I just kind of filled that one in. I don't know. But um, so then he tracks down this girl, this lady, and... She's, like, in some white Cadillac or something. And uh, he, like, comes, he sneaks up on her and, like, asks for a ride. Oh, he pretends to be just some guy. And he's like, oh, I'm going into town. Can you take me into town? She's like, oh, sure, get in. And then um, there's all this, like, innuendo right away. Uh, and then she's like, ha-ha. I actually know who you are. And then she, like, they're, like, are the goons again who, um, who are, like, up, up front. So she, like, tips her hand, is like, I know who you are. And then he's going to get ambushed. And then he punches her in the freaking face. I socked a one to the jaw. Oh, yeah. There was that whole thing where it was, like, um, it's hard to get away from a woman when she's got a gun pointed on you unless she's got a mind on other things. And I was just so fortunate that she did. And I, I punched her in the freaking face and knocked her out cold while she was driving the car, I guess, or like while she was at a stop. So she, he knocked her out and then like jumped out to run away from the goons. I hung her on by the big gray buildings until she came out. 
She walked over to a long white convertible and got in. Now I know what the guy meant when he wrote, Ask the man who owns one. I decided to let her buy me a new fuse, and I walked over to the car. Uh, going to town? Oh? Back up three feet, and I'll let you know. Okay. Mm-hmm. Your tailor couldn't do all of that. Thanks. Get in. Visiting? Yeah, yeah. The warden's an old friend. How many years did you know him? Uh-uh, uh-uh, baby. I've been going home every night all my life. Every night? Well, almost. What do you do with the almost? Depends. Everybody likes something different. You must get tired thinking up new ideas. Oh, I don't think much. It's more fun being surprised. Hey, what are you stopping for? We just got started. Surprise? Oh, yeah. And the nickel-plated one. Look, baby, you don't have to pull a gun. If I'm getting fresh, I'll get out and walk. You'll sit right there, Diamond. Oh, name dropper. Mm-hmm. Expecting company? Mm-hmm, and you've met them before, honey. That's nice. I wouldn't want you to get stuck with the introductions. That's your friends coming along in that car? It should be. Now hold real still. They'll only shoot you this time. Sometimes you're lucky. When a dame's got a gun on you... You don't stand much of a chance unless she's got her mind on something else. This one did. And when she looked up in the rearview mirror to make sure it was her boys, I tagged her. My two playmates were just pulling up in the green sedan when I went out of the car like a dry transmission. Oh, wait, no. Okay, I remember. So he jumped out, and then he, like, rolled down a hill because I remember he used the metaphor. He's like, my face looked like a, a exhibit for for smallpox or something like that. Um, I guess he was all cut up or something. He, like, rolled down a hill. And then the goons accidentally fought each other, I think, because there was this whole bit where the goons were like, I told you he was wearing the blue suit. And then the other goon is like, I'm colorblind. (laughs) I do. I do remember them fighting about the color of the suit. And I didn't know why, but that makes sense. Is he started attacking a good guy. Well, a bad guy. But he's also a bad guy. Okay, yeah. Sometimes these um, detective stories, I've noticed, have a lot of plot and that we have to process. So maybe our brains aren't as smart as they would have been if we were raised in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. That was one thing I was thinking the whole time I was um, listening to it. I'm like, man, like I am really having to try hard to keep up with this. And it's like the average radio listener... At this time, I guess this was just, like, very easy to listen to and very easy to keep track of. Um, Or everyone was just sitting around the radio, like, listening, focusing really hard and, like, listening to every word. Or maybe our imaginations just aren't as good as they were before because we don't – we have everything kind of spoon-fed to us where it's, like, you know, even if there's a complicated show, you can, like, go back and, like, listen. And, like, there's so many, like, visual clues. You can, if you miss something, you can, like, look it up in the, um, like, summary online or something like that. But, yeah, I was definitely thinking about that. Like, when people were listening to this, they must have just been much more tuned in and uh, have just much more of an ability to track all these details. Exactly. I agree. One of these theories is correct. Either they're way good and we're way bad, or we, we like you said, have been spoon-fed. 
Bible. Kids. Kids these days. So if we were going to do our own version, which is part of the point of this whole construct, I like the idea of your detective that you invented that his shtick is he doesn't wear pants. Like, I'd love for you to play that detective in this story if you want to. I'm Detective Boblansky, the no-pants detective. I don't like denim. I don't like the feel. It's like a cactus on a cold summer day rubbing against your legs. So I go, I go pantless. I can get from place to place with my trench coat on, but people don't give me too much of a, too much of a worry. Well, is that Detective Boblansky I see? Um, if you please, um, I recognize you because I can see your knees. She had legs like an iron skillet turned... <laughs> that was ready to make breakfast hot I knew she was frothing at the mouth ready to to get a look at uh, in between the in the slit of my trench coat <laughs> I, I'm sorry I'm a, I'm a little distracted um some crazy some crazy stuff has been going on and if I seem distracted uh because I'm looking at you. I mean, I'm look. I'm looking to hire. I'm looking to hire you. My rate's one hundred dollars a day, and try to keep those peepers above the waist. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, when I saw your online website, um, I did see that it said a hundred dollars a day, and I was wondering if you did PayPal, Venmo, if I could just sell you. Like, what would be the Best method for payment, Detective Boblaski. Call me old-fashioned, but I prefer bitcoins. Yeah, that is pretty old-fashioned. That's like last year or the year before. Like, so last year or the year before. No, but that's fine. I, I do have some stashed away on my online accounts. So, I, so I'd be happy to give you 100 bitcoin a day. I, I guess I just ought to tell you everything. Can we sit down in this coffee shop? A hundred bitcoins a day would make me listen to anyone. And she was someone I was already keen to listen to. All right, baby. Tell me, what's on your mind? Oh, my name's actually Bibi. Bibi Lenar. Um, pleased to meet you, so it's kind of cool that you almost knew my name. Um, B.B. Lenar, uh, what happened was, uh, this is so hard for me to, uh, to share with you because it's, it has to do with blackmail and framing for murder. You see, my brother, um, my brother's girlfriend was taken from her college campus and murdered where they think she was murdered in her vehicle and anyway her body was discovered at Fenwick Park 
a few weeks later and because like I said my brother Adam was dating her at the time the police zoomed their attention right on him even though he's a good college boy and a good student and he's never been in trouble with the law at all and they honed it on him they arrested him and threw him right into jail and <sighs> the prosecutor is making up evidence against him it's almost like he's working for someone and I think that someone might be the real killer and all the money we're paying for the defense lawyers they could all be in cahoots I think it's some big blackmail scheme and I know he's innocent and you're the only detective who sees right through all the cops' red tape and yellow tape and blue tape and... Oh, I'm sorry, I've gone on and on and I haven't let you comment on my problem. I see through all kinds of tape. Sounds like a pretty typical setup. Young college boy. It has to pay lawyers and lawyers and lawyers fees on top of student loans for a murder he didn't commit. I've, I've heard of this before. There's only one way to start an investigation like this. And it's to go to the scene of the crime. Fenway Park. All right, um, I'll take you there. Um, if you don't mind. I get nervous when other people drive, so I'm going to drive you to Fenway Park. We drove and drove. The time went by like a little chickadee out the window. We pulled up and no one was at Fenway Park. See, the Red Sox were out of season, being the quarantine. I'm actually surprised we're out and about, but... This plot of murder and being framed, no virus, no pandemic can, can stop us from seeking the truth. Anyway, I'm sorry. I just go on and on about things that are just in my head, and then I say them out loud to you. Oh, but anyway, this is the Fenway Park where my brother's girlfriend, Dot, was killed and... There's no actual evidence. It's all circumstantial. Things like his textbooks were near her body, which is impossible because he never even bought textbooks. So it's just almost as if they put his fingerprints on textbooks that he never read because all of his college materials were online. So this it's just weird to have physical evidence when he was only dealing with digital things. I could, I could tell, tell she wanted me within six feet, feet like a, like a basketball player going in for a layup. But I'm not the type to take advantage of a, of a girl who's upset about her brother murdering someone. Well, if there's anything else I could do for you, detective, just let me know. But I've already been outside my house too long today, so I must return. But here... I'm giving you my cell phone number, email, Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat. I know that's an old program, but I still use it for old times' sake. So you can get in touch with me these ways, but 
I trust you have a trail to go on. Your instincts cannot lead you wrong. I'll get to the bottom of this. Just then a stiff breeze picked up and made my uh, small friend <laughs> retract like a scared turtle. Seemed fitting given the murderous scent in the air. I saw the around near the trash can there was a piece of paper that was written I had heard that this boy was all digital so it seemed strange something so handwritten being right here next to the trash can and I picked it up and I read inside and it said kitty cat likes milk hmm what does it mean? Hey. Hey, um. Hey there, Rick. Yeah. It's me. It's me, Rick. The police officer. And someone in the department said that you were, um, snooping around Fenway Park, which is not something you should do because you're not a policeman anymore and I'm your friend. So I just wanted to tell you... Watch out, because all the cameras are picking you up, and, you know, they, they, they want to get you, dude. They want to get you for indecent exposure, so, like, the minute your trench coat flaps open, they might, they might pounce. Uh, you know my style. Maybe you can give me a pass on this one, but... And I hope this doesn't have to do with that Adam Driscoll, or Adam, I forgot his last name, this murder, murderer uh, of the girl Dot. Because that's well in hand. Already solved. Case closed. Well, we're talking about the murder. You wouldn't happen to have seen any funny evidence when it comes to this this boy. I mean, it doesn't seem the type. Goes from taking no notes to taking notes. Goes from being a good student to being a murderer. Just doesn't seem typical. Well, as far as I heard from Frank... All the evidence is in order. Um, just most college kids, you know, are into technology, but I guess recently this Adam kid, he switched over to the physical textbooks. I guess no one thought that was weird. Um, just kind of an old school hipster or something. Uh, no one thought it was weird here. Hmm. Strange. Do you happen to know who the prosecutor on that case is? Oh, sure. I have it written down right here. It is... Uh, Brian Trom. Yeah, but Brian Trom is, um... Yeah, you'll remember he... He got a lot of people... He got a lot of people for us to get long sentences. Made the police force look real good. In fact, anyone we would bring into him, he would always find the evidence for, and that's why he's a good prosecutor. Brian Crom, the the hound dog. Hmm, that seems strange. Man like that who can dig up so much evidence, not 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 picking up on this um, one note versus handwritten notes not even questioning it i mean he gets to the bottom of things what's his what's his angle 
actually right here. I can hand you the phone to him right now. Hey, hey, Brian. I noticed you just walked in the office. I have um, my buddy on the line. He had a question for you. Well, howdy ho. Who do I have the pleasure of speaking with right now? Brian. This is Detective Boblansky. The No Pants P.I. Oh, No Pants P.I. Detective Boblansky. Well, it's so good to hear your voice. And uh, uh, I just hear that you do lots of good work for, for and on behalf of citizens and sometimes help the police out. So that's great. Um, if you don't mind, I only have a... 30 seconds or so to talk to you. I'm about to go to court to do my closing arguments and whatnot and what have you. Just tell me one thing. Did he do it? Did the kid do it? Well, you know, that's for a jury to decide, and I'm not really supposed to talk about these things, but I will tell you that even though I don't know personal if he did it, I have a gut feeling that he probably did. And the circumstantial evidence is more than enough to convict that boy. That menacing troublemaker. Hmm. He wasn't the type to work on gut feelings. So I started working on a gut feeling of my own. I decided to follow up on that note. And, uh, head down to the Kitty Cat Cafe on uh, College Parkway met up with one of Adam's friends who was his roommate at the time. There you go, Froofy. Yeah, so... Um... I've been really torn about this whole thing because... Adam's such a good roommate. He did all the dishes always, and, um... He was always video conferencing on his phone and laptop, and, um... There you go, Fruffy. But, um, yeah, I never once, now that you mention it, I never once saw him even own a notebook, like a physical notebook. Um, he did everything on Google Docs or OneDrive or um, the many Microsoft and Google platforms that they have available. I mean, he never, uh, as far as I know, even owned a pen. It was only a stylus for his iPad. So that's weird that you should mention that. Now tell me, did was Adam a bullet points type of guy, or was he a more freeform prose? Well, another good question. Um, he he definitely um, had a unique way of um, taking notes on his laptop. It wasn't really a bullet point form or or eloquent prose it, it was more of one word he would use one word and the one word would in his mind fill in the rest of the sentence he was almost like a computer in there in his brain it was just amazing and and you know it's funny um the day of the 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 murder i remember specifically you know the prosecutor brian crom Brian Crom had a son named Ryan. So Brian's son Ryan was poking around trying to find Dot that day. I remember it now. So weird. I didn't think of all these connections now that you mention it. And he had written a cursive note. Um, Ryan did. 
and he was going to try to give it to Dot. I think he was jealous of Adam and their relationship. And, huh. It's just weird. Interesting. Just then, a gun shoots into the Kitty Cat Cafe, breaks the window. Blancy flips the table. All right, they must have caught on to us. Ah, the kitties, I'm so scared. Ah, thank you for flipping the table to protect us. Ah. Calm down, pussycat. All right, we can get out the back way without us finding, without them seeing us. Going out the front is gonna be suicide. Mubarski, we know you're in there. We have our guns pointed in your general direction. We'll get you. Plates crashing. I snuck out behind behind the back and tried to make it over the fence. My bare ass just got a little scratch at the top of that fence. So uh, my rear end would look like a, a old pile of chuck roast as I was running through the streets behind the kitty cat cafe. Uh, I had my my companion, my little companion, nervous companion boy with me. So, where did you say this Brian fella? Was he in the same dorm as you two? Can you take me to his room? Oh yes, um, um, Brian Crom's son, Ryan, was, he, he stayed in the dorm across the street from ours, uh, the, we were in building one and he was in building two. Here, let me just show you. It's right this way. Um, in fact, um, his room is 102. It's a very good view into our, our room on the other side, the other tower. And uh, we would see each other walking by the windows a lot. And, but anyway, it's right in here if you... Oh. Wow, I can't believe your keycard opened his door. That's... That's crazy that you must have special skills, detective. I don't have many pockets, but in the digital age, a key only takes up a small, small sliver. Well, this is really interesting. I think I'm going to be able to type a paper about you someday, and I think it's going to get me a lot of credentials in the reporting journalism class. Stick with me, kid, and you won't need a reporting journalism class. All right, now run along. Stay safe. Thank you. I would shake your hand or hug you, but I'm trying to keep my social distance. As you should. My hands were shaking like a San Francisco tremor. I felt like a movie star. Just one little camera trained on my... Trained at my... Right at my head. Brian was holding a Colt 77 and looked like he had an itchy trigger finger. Well, 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 if it isn't the rogue detective, P.I. No Pants Blansky. Blansky? It doesn't matter, I don't care. Well, you see, I think you recognize my voice. I'm Prosecutor Brian Crom, and. 
Let me allow me to introduce you to my son Ryan. You know, I knew it was only a matter of minutes when I talked to you on the phone that you'd become snooping around here. And I've gone ahead and turned off all the security cameras, so it's just you and me and my boy. Isn't that right, boy? Yeah, that's right, Dad. And um, I promised I wasn't going to tattle on my own dad because it's a conflict of interest. You see, my boy's going to be a fine law someday. Now, I would say drop your drawers, but they seem to already been dropped. Can't get caught with your pants down if you never wear them. Well, Brian, Ryan, I'm wondering what you know about Dot. Well, as this is going to be the last moments you're ever going to breathe in any air or feel a draft on your upper thigh, uh, I reckon my boy can take it from here and tell you the truth, and then I'll shoot your brains out with this cold. Now, Ryan, what do you know? Well, I know that. I love Dot. I'm a renaissance boy myself. I, I enjoy the old school way of doing things, and I would write her love letters and draw her pictures and paintings, and I'd give them, I'd give them to her, and she didn't pay me no heed. She was into the technology boy, Adam. And I, I told my dad, these are truths that I told you, Dad. I know, son, I know. I, I told my dad that Adam would beat me up all the time and pick on me and really Dot was in love with me and I told him the complete truth and the complete truth was she was wanting to go on a date with me and uh, when I had gone on the date with her Adam showed up and, and you know he was going to kill me so I threw Dot in, in his way and he and he alone killed Dot yeah that, that rings true none of what my son my boy says here Sounds like it could have gone down a different way. What do you think, Detective, before I shoot your head? Oh, okay, Ryan. So you're saying you just threw Dot in front of something and you didn't have anything to do with what happened next and it was all Adam. Why would, why do you suppose a boy like Adam with a girl like Dot would want to go murder her over by Fenway Park. Uh, well, I don't know, but uh, I reckon that's exactly what happened. That he, um, he probably was jealous of me, and he thought that if he couldn't have Dot, then nobody could have Dot. That's what I think Adam thought. Well, 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 that seems very interesting. Now... Let's say, let's say this is all true, and Dot was in love with you, and, uh, you know, this Brian was just, was just jealous, but I seem to remember that the evidence all was handwritten. Is that right, Brian? No, I don't know what you're talking about. My boy writes differently than this Adam fella, and, uh... The evidence will show in my closing remarks tonight at the courtroom that it was Adam's handwriting. And since there's not a lot of Adam's handwriting on file, I think we know that it was him. Isn't that right, boy? Yeah, um, yeah. I may have seen a lot of 
slips of paper at Adam's apartment that I definitely know he wrote things sometimes. Mostly he wrote on his computer and his iPad and his phone. But sometimes he, he wrote down something, I think. Yeah, that's very convincing what my son's been telling you. Word has it, uh, he didn't do much writing at all, even on his computer, only single words. Now, uh, when, when you took a look at that, those written, that written evidence that was down there at that Fenway Park, you think that was written in a script that, uh, a second or third grader might know, or someone who's a bit older used to writing a lot of words in a row with loopy, uh, loopy letters that are all connected for speed. Well, 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 how would you say that was written there, Brian? Well, I know, I know, uh, different ways of, of writing. What do you think, son? What's that kind of writing called? That fancy type of writing? You mean cursive? You guys are talking about cursive. I know a thing or two about cursive, but it's not, not me. It's not the way that I always write. I, I mean, it's a different way. It's not the way I write. In beautiful script. Cursive. Like they did back in the day. No. No. Your letters are as twisted as your story, Ryan. Why don't you just admit it? I can't. I can't admit it. Now, son, I'm a lawyer, and you know that. You shouldn't say anything, even if it's true. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. All right. Well, we don't have time for this. I'm just going to blow your brains out right now. Wait. Uh, I got a bat. I got I got your messages and your voice memos, detective. Uh, I've just knocked the gun out of his hand. Oh. I was recording everything from the from the voice memos and the phone calls and the and the things that you were sending to me, detective. I know it was Ryan. His dad Brian was covering up. Now I know the truth, my brother's innocent. Yeah, he is, dollface. And now that we've got the evidence, we can do some handwriting analysis and this Ryan is not gonna pass muster, I can promise you that. Oh! Well, I guess old country lawyer like myself was foiled by the technology that you had, detective. Even with someone who does not have many pockets, many a pocket in, in any type of pants, he still has some way of communicating to the outside world while we're trying to shoot his brains out. Son, I can't believe we're going down for this. If only you could just keep it in your pants. Then we wouldn't be in this situation. I'm sorry, Dad. I'm sorry. I won't admit that it was me, but all this evidence is making me think it was me. Oh, I feel bad for what I may or may not have done, Dad. Now you don't talk anymore. Thank you so much, Detective. Thank you so much for saving my brother's name. You're welcome, babyface. Now how about we find a way to spend those bitcoins? told you you could call me BB. But you know, I can't resist a man who's showing me his lower half just so freely in this day and age. I'd be happy to spend that Bitcoin with you together and blowing you a kiss because we live in uncertain times. How about you meet me in the hotel ballroom at 20 past 8 and 
We'll see about that six feet of separation. I love the atmosphere there. I hear the ambiance. It's so relaxing and the music is beautiful. I'll be right there. Face. You're late. I'm sorry. I got lost on the way here, but now I'm lost in your talents. As you can see, I forgot the bottom half of my tuxedo. Well, I didn't forget it. And I won't soon forget what I get to see tonight and here. a better job than they did in 1949 but that is not a fair comparison in fact we were copying them a little too so i liked it <laughs> i am so happy to have realized my um my uh creative passion with the no pants pi <laughs> see little did we know that tonight's podcast would Bring about a resurgence and a rebirth of a character you made up years before. And this was the culmination of that phoenix rising from the dust. And I thought you did a great job. He was really funny. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. And I thought you did an excellent job with all of the other characters. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it was an adventure and I enjoyed I enjoyed the the race, the race between different people. And then it was nice to have you as a constant. Otherwise, I don't think I could have managed. Well, this was super fun. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. I loved being on the podcast. And also introduced me to the Marco Polo app, which is cool. And also got some improv in a very improvless time. So thanks. Shall we, um, shall we close it off? Uh, an old radio sign-off? Sounds like a plan. I've been Richard Templeman. And I am Jack Patton. And this has been another episode of Second Golden Age of Radio. Thank you for tuning in.